So we'll take some questions. First question, a lot is said about moving away from. Could you also speak to us about moving towards an aspect of practice that's to do with moving towards? In other words, is Buddhism mainly motivated by moving out from suffering? Or is there also a thirst at its core, a different kind of thirst than the ones I described yesterday? The kind of thirst that makes the poet say, don't ask for water, my soul ask for thirst. Yeah, well... Interesting poet. Mm. <laughs> well, there is a desire, and so we have tanha, which is a thirst, which is to do with a certain uh, reflex that is te- moves towards holding on. Mm. So tanha, thirst always conditions something called grasping, something to hold on to. Mm. And that's a sort of reflex and uh, uh, very often the untrained mind knows that and so kind of imagines, well, okay, just turn that towards, you know, some something else, you know, thirst for um, enlightenment and so on. But uh, actually it has to be replaced with something else called desire or motivation, the Pali word for this is chanda. So chanda is to be aroused, it's the motivation. And it's much more a conscious choice than a reflex instinct. So deliberately, okay, let's go for that. And then chanda is uh, crucial uh, for cultivation. Certain enthusiasm. So this enthusiasm, um, motivation, can be summarised as a thirst for skillful states or skillful actions. Yeah. So these actions, such as, for example, a motivation towards um, honesty. Really, let's get that right. Um, so this isn't about some sort of isolated self that's going to get something. It's about how do my behaviours relate properly. Mm. Yeah. So it's, we're referring again to a, what I call a mutual cosmos. So whenever there's thirst, we try to shake a chunk out of it. Whenever there's motivation, we try to form healthy energies that produce harmony and coherence. Yeah. This cosmos could be just the cosmos of your own mind, yeah. your own heart, your own body. Mm. So how do you produce harmony in your body? Yeah. So it's, it's a relational experience. How do I... And so I need to know that. How do I work that out? So one's certainly interested in how that can happen. Mm. Uh, yeah. We might have this same sort of motivation, uh, aspiration. May I learn how to release myself from unskillful states, from stuck habits, 
from carelessness, uh, heedlessness, uh, despair. <laughs> so again, these aren't really going to be accomplished by tanha because they require not holding on to something but deliberately handling and processing and working with confusion and imbalance. And so certainly in, in the field of cultivation, in the culture of cultivation, a lot of emphasis is made on this chanda and it's, uh, it sits behind everything. Mm. Also, it's about bringing skillful qualities to the fore. For example, may I develop patience? Nobody's thirsty for patience. <laughs> Zero. Uh, it's like we just learn to just patiently stop getting, just, just stay with this, you know. Yeah. You know, it takes a bit of work sometimes. <laughs> Nobody's ever thirsty for equanimity, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, recognize the idea, the theme of equanimity is beautiful, but I'm not going to get there by trying to grab hold of some fake <laughs> equanimity, trying to, like a cosmetic equanimity. <laughs> you know, the heart can't put on makeup. <laughs> So really, it's essentially the Buddhist view that right underneath it is there's a kind of what's really fundamentally is a cleaning away and a return to balance. For that cleaning away, that removal of obstructions, that turning off of ignorance, you know, the abandonment of craving definitely requires getting on with some cultivation, some skills, and putting in the right direction and applying them in the right way. Yeah. Just as we might say, if we're leaning over unbalanced and we've got a weight in the hand or we're tied to the ground, it may take something to get that tether off. And they're sometimes referred to as tethers, you know, bonds, chains, shackles to get it off. It may take quite some energy to get it off. And sometimes the energy can be subtle. Sometimes, you know, you can imagine it just needs a massage just to slide out and just smoothly withdraw. Sometimes it requires something a bit more, you know, sustained wearing away. And sometimes it requires cutting. So you don't really know exactly what tools and uh, so you've got to find out. So there's also a chanda. We also learn not just how to handle things. You know, you can take somebody into a, a workshop and say, here's a, here's a plane, here's a chisel, yeah. here's some sandpaper, here's some oil. Go do it. <laughs> I say, well, you know, what things need sanding? What these things need oiling? What, well, and how do you operate these? Well, you've got to find out. <laughs> Yeah, so there's also uh, what's called dharma chanda, a desire for for learning the skills and learning the how to handle our skills and and so forth. So that's that's what we get motivated towards. So it's certainly not a passive process. Uh, 
but uh, it's also just recognizing some things you just got to work <coughs> steady, slow, you know, massaging, gently, getting stuck attitudes to soften and withdraw from. Yeah, so this is, you know, the various kinds of cultivations that we do, and I suppose you might simply, in all of them, there's a certain energy that we cultivate, which has got to be not just the one kind of energy, but how to move softly, how to move vigorously, and um, you know, how to just bear with and sustain, stay open. Energy takes different forms, and also energy of inquiry. What's happening there? How does that feel? It's not so much intellectual inquiry, it's the inquiry of, of a cook who tastes something. Not quite right, you know? Yeah. Or an inquiry of someone who's a healer, just putting a hand on the pulse and... What's happening here? You know, I, think, I think it's something in the liver, you know? <laughs> so, you know, you're sensing sensing because many of the experiences we have are not verbal or even accessible to verbal inquiry they've got to be almost sensed into felt you know there's something out of balance here something's too tight you know there's a quite a lot of um, motivation uh, uh, and that chanda has to be that desire has to be fed with a certain sense of faith. You know, there is something better. And also, well, can you do this much today? It's this much. Can you at least not go back? <laughs> yeah. so, so it's not like, you know, getting in an airplane and winging away. So can you just move three steps forward just a little bit? Just a little bit, just a little bit. So sometimes processes like that slow. So Chanda's also a motivated uh, sense when you begin to recognize is the energy getting strained, harsh? Is it steady? Is it wavering? Yeah, so all this is a cultivation of energy. Uh, and one gets motivated by that because there's many different skills we can learn and need to learn. In that, and every, all our challenges that we get in terms of our tiredness or our tension, you know, turbulence, are there as tests. Figure this one out, work with this one. The other form of cultivation is cultivation of view, which means interest in, you know, in learning, understanding some of the, the teachings, so particularly quality which we apply to something called deep attention, for example. You know, so generally what we experience is many faceted and multiple array of, of uh, worries about my sister and concern about the world and not feeling very good in myself and, you know, a sense of feeling a bit hopeless or, or you know, uh, so on and so on and so on. And so it gets tension get very scattered. So you have this process of just how can you view this clearly? So you say, oh, call this, you know, and summarize. What's the overall sense of that? You know, 
that turns you towards the heart. In the overall sense, the heart maybe experiences just overwhelmed. You know, can't find a stability. You know. So that we use this process of listening and filtering and inquiring into our concerns and views and visions into what's really happening in the heart there. Yeah. And then recognizing, okay, this is a condition, it's not self. You can take it all very personally, but these are conditions and forces that are happening. And um, it will change, and they change. So can you then find a place in your the cosmos that's kind of knotted up or tangled? Can you find a place to be with that? So that requires a certain view. And my sense is often um, the people, when they experience a problem, generally go right into it. And it's, uh, it's not the best way to get out of a whirlpool, is <laughs> to dive into it. Because <laughs> these problems have got a sort of, like a vortex that sucks you in, you spin. And if you feel you're doing that, just going round and round the same issues, you just think, oh, well, I'm going to figure this out. No, that's going to take you in. You stand back. Yeah. Where do you find some calm water, some rock to stand on, where you can you know, not keep putting energy into this topic? then you've got a particular view, viewpoint has to be established you know, on, on some steady places. And to find that is also, you know, you know, how do I get around, where do I find a place to look at my concerns about the state of the world without just getting fed up, angry, irritable, or just giving up on it? <laughs> Mm. Mm. Right? And um, yeah, it's not an easy one. And you can't get to it with thinking. It's to do with uh, equanimity and dispassion and clarity and blessing. And, you know, it requires quite a full response from the heart. The heart's stuck in the vortex, it can't respond. We have to recognize that. So this is some examples of what to be motivated towards. Uh, and uh, this is very important because it's... Uh, you don't want to fall asleep in this life. Stay wakeful. Uh, mm. So, topics here, when there's pain in the body, while they're sitting, they usually practice sitting with the pain, but only to the point where I feel that I start harming my body. For instance, by cutting off the blood flow in one leg for too long. At that point, I allow myself to mindfully shift my position. 
Could you share with us some of your views around this question? Well, basically, I would agree with that. Um, some pains, you just, uh, they're not, <laughs> you know, like stomach pains or cramps in the digestive system. Not, you know, you can't shift your legs to do that, get out of that. But when you've got joints in pain, um, then if you're not careful, you can damage them. So um, I recommend contemplating the psychologies that arise when pain happens. You know, either just got to overcome it or measuring oneself as not weak or inadequate. And work with that and explore the experience of what pain is about. You know, energies uh, in a particular form and widen your experience, your awareness to include the painful areas and the non-painful areas. So it helps the mind not to be adding psychological pain to it. Mm. Someone experiencing sleepiness while sitting, I discover that when I surrender to it, my body deeply rests and then my awareness is bright again. I have in mind the need of skillful means to wake up in meditation, like standing or opening the eyes, etc. But my experience shows me that surrendering to it is more helpful for my body needs and energies. So I am confused. Mm. Yeah, well... Mm. So all of us experience energies um, and resources of energy, how much is available at any time, and sometimes there's a lot, and sometimes it's not much. <laughs> That's just where you know it's, it's a it's a resource, and it, it kind of comes in phases. So when it's low, being with a low energy state, you know, uh, then. Um, it's good practice to, to, to bear with it because one can be very averse to it. So fighting with it or trying to force oneself to stay awake is pretty, uses a lot of energy in fighting with it. But you can contemplate the aversion to it. You know, and um, sometimes it helps just to, to let, let the mind let it go, let the mind rest. And uh, if, if you're interested, you can stay a bit longer with a sleepy state by um, giving attention to your skin, particularly extending from the head, which often feels like it's kind of stuck inside a plastic bag or something. So, you, you know, and then you feel yourself kind of crumpling over. So giving attention to your, to your skin, so the whole skin boundary because when you're very sleepy sometimes you lose your body altogether so you have the skin and then also you have the upright axis from the head on down so maybe you're getting your spine and your skin and just let the rest of it you know? and it, some people if they're skillful enough can actually 
sustain that. So in a way, they're, they're asleep in some respects, <laughs> you know. But they're in a rest state, and um, you know, practitioners will sometimes take up a practice called sitter's practice. We don't don't lie down for a, a week or a month or a year. In which case, it really is a, a major confrontation with sleepiness. Uh, I've done this myself, and it's uh, you learn to to uh, operate a slightly different range. It's not it's not great because you can actually sort of find yourself falling asleep when somebody's talking to you. <laughs> Just drifting off, <laughs> but after a while, you get used to being able to operate at that level. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is considered a, a pretty austere and tough practice. Uh, most people will prefer just to stay a bit longer in the sleep, just to explore it, not to overcome it, and simplifying, simplifying your body experience to just a, a spine and some skin. And then you might find if you stay like that, and then perhaps even just, you know, 10, 20 minutes or so, it will begin, the energy begin to return. I think with many of these, uh, these are just features of nature, to not make them into enemies that you have to conquer. Uh, something you sort of learn some skills with and explore. Someone else has another problem with energy. Meditation doesn't allow me to gather energy. But to the contrary, my energy tends to dissipate. What is it, what's, what's the explanation for that? Is there a loss of presence? Well, there can be many conditions. If energy is dissipating, other than just this, if this is a steady pattern rather than just sleepiness, um, we need to really make clear that we have established, a, like I say, a stable core. And basically this, you'll find this is, in sitting meditation, it's going to be the, and in standing meditation too, you get this sense of the upright axis. Mm. This is not bones, it's actually like an energy channel. You can't actually so much feel it, but drawing back to, to something central. And energy needs to circulate. So energy needs to go out and come back to return. So it's got a place to return to. And you could find that could be abdominal. It could be the breathing, you know, because breathing is an energy form, a wave form. Yeah. So every in-breath brings energy, every out-breath is a wave form, it's massaging energy like this. And to stay with that whole wave form of energy doing this. Now if, it, if it's dissipating, it seems to me there's some break whereby the energy is going out and not coming back. Now, this can be just that one is losing attention to the turning 
So, for example, when we breathe out or the out-breath goes, very important to stay with the subtle subduing of that process as the energy seems to stop, but it doesn't actually stop. The air stops, but the energy just goes into a different state, a different phase, and then it returns. This is often a place where we lose attention. We go think about something, or we breathe in too rapidly. We don't allow it to go out and come back. Or it doesn't come, we, we lose the thread. Yeah. Same with walking. So I think with breathing, it can seem as if it's one breath after another. It's actually one breath, then the next breath, then the next breath, then the next breath. It's No, it's actually one breath from birth to death. It's just doing this. When it goes out, you're dead. <laughs> so it's just doing this. Uh, but our, our attention to it can, oh, that's the end of that, next one. And that's where you've got to break there, you see? No, it's a break in awareness, in receptivity. Yeah. So you're not trying to do something, you're trying to receive something. Now if we're doing walking, it can seem as if it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, so forth. It's actually, it's not, it's... it's <laughs> because if you get into the flow of it, you know, as you're standing on one leg, the other leg is starting to move round, the energy comes down, that leg comes down, the coming up, the other leg is swinging round, that one comes down, the other leg comes up. So, it's, it's, actually, the body's just shifting its energy from one side to the other, <laughs> and moving it down the limbs and through the back. So it, it doesn't have one, two, three, because it's only one like a wave. We look at the sea, it looks like you can say there's one wave, there's another wave, but actually anybody with discernment will recognize, oh no, that's, there's no break there. But then it requires the, the sort of awareness to, and sensitivity to that process, the energy of that process, to really acknowledge that, because it looks like it, when you look from the outside and say, oh yeah, she stepped 15 steps. That's what it looks like, the outside. <laughs> but if you're practicing correctly, it's more like swimming, you know. So, and the beauty of that is the energy is always contained in that looping and that wave in that in that form. So you're really getting the sense of a continuing thread. Yeah. And that can be when we're moving or when we're sitting, you know, make sure your breathing is doing this with all of that. Mm. Um, sometimes energy is lost because uh, we are adding thoughts and emotions. We use a lot of energy in our emotions, our thoughts, our strategizing. So we use it all up in the wrong way. So we want to quieten that down. And the way to quiet that down is to bring the body into mind. So there's something to connect to rather than discursive thought or moods. Mm. Also, we should bear in mind that when we use the term like energy, you feel your energy is 
is dissipating. Energy has two phases to it. There's the directive and the receptive. Directive, receptive. And we do things and we also receive things. It takes energy to receive something. Like if you're dull, you don't receive very much. <laughs> you're numbing out. Do you see what I mean? It takes a certain kind of vitality to tune in. Do you know what I mean? So, for example, if we're listening, it takes energy to listen. You've got to stay with something. That staying with and taking in is a, a form of energy. Speaking, different kind of energy. So we pull it out. Listening, we take it in. But both require energy. One is directive, one is receptive. And sometimes people don't quite get the balance. There may be too much directing, yeah, so do, 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 do. If you don't get receptive, you don't get the food. Yeah, too busy producing menus, you don't get the food. <laughs> so you've got to balance receptive with the active. Maybe some of these themes can be useful. Um, if you scan your body, you may find there's places where you feel. Well, numb. There's a some sort of energy block, or a, a kind of a break, some place in your, ooh, particularly in that axis, where somewhere around here, it, the mind spins out, you can't find anything, and that area then has to be attended to carefully. Um, profound shocks or grief or emotions that aren't resolved can create these mm, sounds too dramatic but certain tearing in the energy field we haven't been able to be with that so things the mind disconnects so profound shock disconnect so that's why it's so important to you know really try to connect to as best one can, even to distressing circumstances, in terms of finding a place to, to be with that, where you can stay present. And presence will then become stronger and more skillful. A person says they live in a country where there's a lot of suffering and misery. And I'm very sensitive, and this throws me often into a hard, difficult state of culpability. It's stuck between empathy and impotence. Well, you live in a country. Well, <laughs> doesn't everybody live in a country? There's <laughs> plenty of suffering and misery. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's how to um, you know not not be overwhelmed by it mm. because it's uh, see if you look into to the heart, the heart just cannot cannot be sensitive. The heart cannot manage to stay intact and 
receptive to it. It's just too much. So then, you know, you get things spin out. Mm. So there's a sense in which a certain degree of shielding is needed, both perhaps to um, recognize how much you can manage in terms of sensing or the miseries and problems in the world. There's plenty of it. Nowadays we can import it from all over the world and how much you can manage. And uh, the other thing is how to strengthen the heart with, first of all, the bodily base. So make sure you, you keep returning to the simplicity of the body presence. And recognize this is what you can do. You know, and it's, it's enormously important just to get some sense of that stable presence. Um, secondly, to fortify or to strengthen the heart with practices of compassion and appreciation and equanimity. We also live in a cosmos of breathing, yeah of intelligence, of sensitivity, of friendship, of forgiveness, of aspiration, of resolution, patience. We live in this spiritual cosmos as well. And you must establish your foundation in that. Absolutely. That's your steady foundation. That's the one that you can live in. You can't live in this world, you know, in, in, the, in the pain of it. doesn't mean you ignore it, but you don't want to live in it. No. You may think you don't have a choice, but with tuning in to the spiritual faculties, that's your real home, you might say. And from there you can, okay, what can I manage today? And equanimity because there's never an end to it. So, so similarly on these lines, person living in the midst of great fear and witnessing emotional hostility, where do actions, decisions and wise reflection play a part in, I suppose, helping this situation, but um, if I do too much of it, I just find myself thinking mind goes astray. It's too many strategies, I imagine, too much thinking. Well, I think I would just reiterate what I said for the previous one question. We do live in a in a world where we can certainly tune into a, a cosmos of extreme stress and misery and even personal, you know, like people who don't like me or feel you know, hostility all around. Uh, so it's really necessary to establish this refuge place in your own awareness so you can relate to those experiences in accordance with your capacity. So one of the simple epigrams of the, of the Buddha 
we live happily amongst those who hate us. Amidst <laughs> hostility, we live happily amidst hostility. And that's a paradox. Like many of these things are, it just means that you don't take it in. Uh, and this requires the great heart, the heart, the chitta made great becomes established in its own metta karuna field, where the hostility of others remains theirs. It doesn't come in here. Actually, though we may assume we are inevitably uh, flooded with other people's stuff, actually. Some ways that's true, but we also do take it in, uh, and that's not wise. One can stand next to something without diving into it. There's other people's hostility and say, "Oh, she is very hostile. She has a problem." Uh, you could even say, "Is there something you need or whatever?" But you don't need the poison. And I can say these things simply. To make them simple, practice requires strong, deep, constant practice, metta karuna. How to free oneself from jealousy and comparison? It's the wall of the ghosts. So, an apparent self, which is a ghost, is compared itself to another ghost, which is what I think other people are. I think she's she's getting this great time, she's really enjoying herself, she's getting all the rewards and everybody loves her and nobody likes me. And then she thinks the same about you. <laughs> yeah. Why do we do that, you know? Obviously we're social creatures, that's part of our nature as social creatures, so we seek to and how do we all fit together? That's how human beings fundamentally operate. How do we cooperate? So that means... So how do we adjust? And that can become, well, some sense of, am I good enough? Yeah. And am I welcomed enough into the group or the relationship? This is also very natural. Um, but essentially, one should really not seek that in other person, but seek that quality of fullness, happiness, contentment in one's relationship. So rather than comparing her to me, I begin to assess how do I relate to her. That's what I can do. I cannot even trust my perceptions of her, and I certainly can't change her and I can't say give it more to me because that doesn't resolve it I can say and so this again requires fullness of heart if I'm jealous it means I'm not getting enough that's what the heart's saying well the resource that's needed isn't going to come from someone else it's going to come from a sense of you know, self-appreciation self-respect um, valuing oneself fully 
Again, it all returns this core presence and qualities of goodwill and appreciation directed and dwelt in. One becomes someone who cultivates their own happiness. So, last question, how to help others who are suffering but believe they're happy? <laughs> My friend feels pride in striving to be perfect in everything. Well, good luck. <laughs> you know, everybody makes their own choices. And, uh, you know, we can't... Uh, you know, when do we wake up? When do we get the point? When do we actually recognize? When do we wake up? We wake up when we wake up. <laughs> You're as aware as you can be right now. And everybody's in a process. And at a certain, certain point, okay, maybe we begin to recognize, oh, it's not right. You know? and it takes the time to wake up, to get to the point of waking up uh, to this becoming get more and more and more because it's it's uh, it's quite nice stuff you know <laughs> it's sweet oh, yeah, yeah, succeeding it's sweet uh, but it's addictive like sugar and then you get the wreck <laughs> afterwards but it's time to wake up and I suppose if you really want to help your friend, then in a way, I would suggest you just go easy on their striving and their becoming and uh, say, I, you know, I really like your toenails <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> so you, you appreciate them as something they're not actually striving to do. Oh, I like it when you're really quiet. It's, lovely. So, it's so beautiful when you're just relaxed and quiet. That's the bit I really enjoy. So you give them a little bit of a boost to just, uh, they don't need to keep proving themselves or something. So let's finish the evening with some silent meditation. <laughs> <laughs>